because emotional attraction is all about, do I evoke emotions within the other person that they enjoy feeling? So when my husband and I were dating, like he has a heart for others, he's generous, he was he gave a ton of money away, always helping people. And I loved that about him. Oh, that's funny. I literally saw my husband hold a puppy and I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> All you needed. Is that a value? <laughs> I think it could be. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Okay, it's Relationship Week on the On Air with Ella podcast because I have two shows for you. This one today and then the next full interview that I will drop in about a week actually. And they are about relationships, intimacy, keeping things fresh, particularly during these challenging times, and creating a nourishing desire in an intimate relationship. That's all coming. But there's something I want to say before today's interview and the next one to drop. You do not need to be in a relationship to benefit from these conversations. There's always, intentionally, a lot of personal growth themes and concepts that apply to a wider array of relationships. So just bear that in mind. Don't feel like you are being excluded if you do not currently have a significant other. I think that you will find there's something here for you. But there are two things to tell you before we jump in with Kimberly today. One is that we lost a small bit of audio early on. So the transition from what we're talking about to jumping into Kimberly's model is a bit abrupt. You'll, you'll pick up on it. So you're missing maybe 30 seconds of her explaining her PIES model. That's P-I-E-S, PIES model, to represent physical intellectual, emotional, and spiritual attraction. And this is a model that Kimberly explains very, very well on her own podcast as well. And that's the second thing that I want to tell you. I was recently on Kimberly's show and we had a really good conversation. Honestly, one of the best conversations I've had on the air ever on someone else's show. And I just, I shared things that I've never shared on this show. And I just, I really recommend it. And I will link to it, of course. That podcast is called It Starts with attraction and the episode is called unqualified and again i'll give you everything you need in the show notes all right here we go with kimberly hey kimberly how are you hello i'm doing well today how are you doing i'm great where are you i am just south of nashville tennessee in a city called spring hill which really has nothing i mean it has a lot of people but nothing to really come here for everyone comes for nashville so that's where i am Kimberly, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am a wife to my husband, Rob. We've been married for 10 years, and I am a mom to my two beautiful children that are from India and honestly, the most beautiful kids in the entire world. And I'm the CEO of an organization called Marriage Helper, and that is who I am and what I do. I also love to eat and do yoga and lift weights. That's a little bit more about me. <laughs> How do you help people, Kimberly? I help people by giving them hope and not from my own self. So the organization that I'm the CEO of, Marriage Helper, is it's been around for 20 years. And what we do there is phenomenal. We have over a 70% success rate at helping people save their marriages. 
to really understand how I got involved with Marriage Helper, it's, it's helpful to understand how Marriage Helper got started, which kind of leads to my, my involvement with it. But actually the founder of Marriage Helper, his name is Dr. Joe Beam. And back in the 1980s, he was married to his wife, Alice. They had two children. And in the early 80s, he decided to leave his wife and his children because he believed he could be happier in a different situation with someone else all of the things that, that a lot of people experience and feel. And so he did, he divorced her. They were divorced for three years. And during those three years, he would tell you himself that he did things he never thought he would do, went places he never thought he'd go, and ultimately became a person who, after three years, he said he did not know anymore. And so he went back to his ex-wife, Alice, where they had been divorced for three years at this point, and asked if she would take him back to where everyone in her life said, don't do it. You're moved on now, you're dating other people. But there was something inside of her that said, I know that Joe is a good person who has done some bad things. And I believe the right thing to do for me and for the kids is to try and make this work. So she took him back and they did not love each other when they got remarried, did not feel like they loved each other. Wow. But they figured out how to make it work, uh, fell in love with each other again. From there, they had a third child. That third child is me. And then from there, they said, how can we use this testimony and the story and what we went through to help other couples so that they don't have to go through the pain and the heartbreak of what we went through and what we did. And so in 1999, my dad developed a three-day workshop. And my dad is a, is a PhD. He's actually a sexologist, which is very fun to grow up <laughs> not, with. Not sex. awkward. <laughs> not awkward at all. He actually taught my human sexuality class in college. No. And my friends, and my friends who took it with me, they were like, how can you... Wait, Kimberly, you took it. That was a choice. <laughs> it was a choice. You're right. I thought I could ace it. So I took it. I was not the top student in this class. I'm very upset about this, but it was good. I mean, it was, it was a really good class, but anyway, so back in the 19, late nineties, he developed this workshop and then had couples go through it. And it's been around for 20 years. It, two different research studies have validated that it has over a 70% success rate. And I got involved with the organization about nine years ago. Now, I think this summer will be my 10th year when I got involved and started seeing the hope it was giving to people and the restoration occurring for people's lives and, and even for the marriages that didn't work out, the feeling of like it, they were regaining self-esteem. They knew that no matter what happened in the future, they would be okay. And so all around, like it's a huge win, the change that we do that makes so such a difference in people's lives. And so how I help people, which was your original question, is I simply want to promote that there is hope out there for people who are struggling. One of the key takeaways that I got from your story, besides the miracle of your existence, welcome, we're glad you're here, is <laughs> that your mother is a saint? Honestly, yes. Because I would be a hard no. <laughs> she, I mean, so we, we kind of say that and laugh. If you knew my mom, she's an absolute saint, 100%. We don't have that in common, but she sounds amazing. She's okay. <laughs> okay. So for some people who would share similar circumstances as to your parents, the right thing to do would to have been to never come back together again. And mm -hmm. your parents, that that is amazing and wondrous. And I love that story. And I love the hope that it provides to people. And so mm -hmm. I want to lead us to a place where we can have a conversation about like, when do you know if it's time mm -hmm. to go? Can we just talk first though about staying in love when... <laughs> Yes. 
when I don't know about other people, but hypothetically speaking, let's just say that you are partnered up, you live with your partner, your partner is the love of your life. Okay. And you've had the privilege, Kimberly, of spending now, as we speak to one another, 12 months together. Oh my gosh. All the time. <laughs> All it's the such time. a blessing, Ella. Such a blessing. I am so, <laughs> I am so grateful. Hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. Okay, so in all seriousness, you know I am happily married. Not all of our listeners are married. Not all of our listeners are happily married. None of that mm -hmm. matters. I think that we will create value today for anyone who wants to listen because at the end of the day, love is love is love is love and relationships are relationships are relationships. So I hope you can take some nuggets away no matter what your personal circumstances are. But Kimberly, I would love to talk to you about staying in love even when the shine might have dimmed a teensy weensy little bit. So the first one of this is physical attraction. And it's really only the first because it's typically what we first see, but sure. it doesn't really even have to do as much with looks. It has a lot to do with how do we feel about ourselves? Do we have enough energy to meet the demands of our day? Are we getting enough sleep? Are we managing our stress? And that doesn't have to do with weight or looks. It has to do with like, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you showing up? It's about showing up as the best you, right? Vital mm -hmm. you, but mm -hmm. it's not about your attractiveness on a scale of one to 10, according to marketing. Right. I mean, when you, when your loved one shows up in the room, they're the most attractive thing to you. That's what attraction is, right? Yes. What, and especially when we get to these other areas of attraction. So physical attraction, we got that. Intellectual attraction is this next part. And this is, again, like when you first meet your spouse, if people go back and think for those that are married or maybe those that are dating, you can think back to, you know, physically you see them first, but then the next thing you do is you start talking to them. So intellectual attraction is all about, is this a person that I can have a conversation with? And this is where, when we're looking within ourselves to become the most attractive we can be, we can say, what are we doing to continue to learn and grow? What is it that you can do to continue to learn and grow, which will make you a fascinating person? So this is all about intellectual attraction. Is it someone I can have a conversation with? And then in our relationships, it's helpful when you have enough in common with the other person that you have things to talk about but not that you have everything in common and it's just a clone of you. Yeah, I would murder a clone of me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Some days I want the clone of me because I just want life to be easier. But at the end of the day, I think I'd have a really bad taste in my own medicine. 100%. So the third part of this pies is the emotional attraction. And this is golden when it comes to a long-term relationship because emotional attraction is all about, do I evoke emotions within the other person that they enjoy feeling. Say yeah. that again. Do I evoke emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? And here's the thing, everyone, you, me, everyone included, probably had a picture in their mind as soon as I said that question of, oh my goodness, something either became clear or you realize something you're doing that's not evoking emotions, but it's really helpful engaging how we react and treat the people in our lives. And this doesn't even have to just be with a spouse. This could be with our kids. It could be with our friends. Every time I ask that question, I'm reminded of um, the every time I'm on my phone when my daughter tries to get my attention. Oh, don't. That slays me. I'm the same. It's the worst. And no, so and we know it's the worst. It's, it, yeah. I mean, we know it and we still do it. I hear you. 
And this part of this part of the attraction that we bring into relationships with us is so important for those long-term relationships because if I don't like the way another person makes me feel, then I don't want to continue being in, being in a relationship with them. If others don't like the way I make them feel, they are not going to want to continue to be in a relationship with me long-term. And that's how you get people who may, in fact, circumstantially be in a long-term relationship, but they, there's no intimacy. 110%. So that's the emotional attraction. And then we go to the S, which is spiritual attraction. And what this has to do with is all about beliefs and values. So faith and religion could be a part of it because that definitely informs our beliefs and values, but it doesn't have to necessarily. Typically, people are going to marry others who align with them on very strong beliefs and values that they have. And so when it comes to attraction, like we will be attracted to that in other people. We'll even be attracted to people typically who we perceive as having better beliefs and values than we do. So when my husband and I were dating, right? Like he has a heart for others. He's generous. He was, he gave a ton of money away, always helping people. And I love that about him because, and I hate this about myself. I'm not a generous person. Oh, that's funny. I literally saw my husband hold a puppy and I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> all you needed. Is that a value? <laughs> I think it could be. In all seriousness, I don't know of a successful friendship or long-term relationship, much less a romantic partnership where your values are not in alignment. So some of my dearest, dearest friends are so different than I am on the surface, I suppose. And at the core of it, we share the same values. And I think that is the glue. So in all seriousness, besides the puppy though, I mean, please, <laughs> that <course>. works too. <laughs> that absolutely works or just the puppy. There's something else here too, which is we continue to evolve so the person that Rob married, that's my husband's name, 10 years ago, I'm different than I was then. I've changed. He's changed. Sure. One hopes so. Right, right. One hopes so. But I also don't know that we really recognize that in the majority of marriages because we, we kind of stop asking each other questions. And this is kind of further down the love path, which we'll get into in just a second. But we kind of start continue to treat each other the exact same way we were when we got married and think that the other person believes the exact same things. So my values and beliefs may change and it may not even be exactly what my husband believes, but here's the key. As long as I feel like he can respect me, even if he disagrees with me, and that I can respect him even if we don't agree, that's huge. And I think that's something we aren't seeing playing out in society right now because no one is no one is treating each other with respect even if their beliefs differ. Kimberly, I totally agree. And I believe that the hardest work starts at home and with our inner circle. So that's the harder part. It's a lot easier to sit there and watch the news and critique, you know, all of society. <laughs> But the hard work is done at the dinner table. It absolutely is. If we want there to be a change in our society, you're right. It starts at home. We have to teach our children how to love, but we, also, we do that by modeling it, by modeling respect, by modeling love, by modeling forgiveness. That's how change can happen. Do you talk to people who show more respect to the person bagging their groceries than they do to their spouse or long-term partner? I mean, because I think that happens a lot too, where you have your social face on. I mean, part of this is human nature, obviously, because the person you're with day in and day out, did I mention quarantine? Um, <laughs> 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 they tend to get the least of you, yeah. with, you know, when we're sort of worn out, if you will. And yeah. again, it's a gross generalization, but... Um, Sometimes generalizations are true. Yeah, you're right, because there's there's that familiarity. And so with the person at the grocery store, we don't have the the 
there's not a commitment level there. Whereas when I come home to my husband, I know he's committed to me. And so right or wrong, hint, it's wrong. I treat him like he's not going to leave. So I feel, I can falsely feel like I have more leeway in how I treat him because there's going to be more forgiveness. And ultimately, I mean, there is, but that doesn't justify it. It doesn't justify me not showing up at my best for the people in my life that I love the most. So you shared pies with us, P-I-E-S. If someone had told me pie was the secret to a relationship, I could have hacked this a long time ago. On board. (laughs) (laughs) So physical, intellectual, emotional. And spiritual. And spiritual. All right. So let's say that you're jiving, you're tracking, Mm -hmm. all four are in alignment. This is your person. You get married, la-ti-da, big party, honeymoon, super fun, great dress, lots of good times. Then a year goes by. Then two years go by, then four years, and then seven years. Seven years, by the way, that's a real thing. That's a real hump. It is. Yeah, we don't talk about it enough. Um, (laughs) I'm well past, by the way. Not everything is about me. (laughs) (laughs) I joke. The reason I joke is because I've been in very long-term relationships that were broken, and it's the loneliest place to be is to be Mm. with the wrong person. The loneliest place to be is to be tethered to the wrong person. I truly, truly am grateful for the relationship that I have in my life, but wow, can I see every side of this. Um, Kimberly, let's talk to those folks who want to know how to keep romance and passion alive in their long-term relationship. What have you got for us? Real quick, let me finish out what the love path is. So we talked about attraction. The pies are important for me to keep doing for myself, regardless of anything. So if my marriage is going bad, if it's going great, all of the things... I need to be focusing on myself first, right? So that's number one. But as we continue to move down the love path, that second stage of it is acceptance. And this is basically saying, do I accept the other person for who he or she is without trying to change them? It's a big one. Wait, is the first step attraction? Yeah. And then attraction is made up of pies. Yep. So now we're on step two on the path. How many steps are on the path? Four. Okay. So we're on step two. And what is two? acceptance. Okay. Tell me about that. So acceptance is all about, do I accept the other person for who he or she is without trying to change them? So acceptance is not just, do I accept the facts about you? Because facts are one thing. The the part of acceptance is, do I accept the feelings that are going on behind the things that you do or the things that you have done or the things that you want to do? Because that's what tells us more about a person. And we do this, we kind of do this naturally at the beginning of a relationship, but after we're in a a committed relationship more long-term, then people are still doing things that they regret. They're still making mistakes. But what we stop doing is asking, but how did they feel about that? So if my spouse lied to me, is it the fact that he lied to me or am I asking what happened around that? How did he feel about the fact that he did that? That's going to tell me more information to help me accept him, to accept our relationship, to accept where we are. And it's not until people feel like they are truly loved as they are, that they feel like they can begin to change. That's actually Carl Jung, who's a famous psychologist from many years ago. He had coined the term of when I accept myself as I am, I begin to change. When I accept others as they are, they begin to change. And so that is what the whole step and phase of acceptance is. 
tell me what change means to you in this context. So is that essentially growth? That is what allows us to grow, but grow together still. Some people hear change and they're like, yeah, if I could just change my husband, I'd be happy. Right. Yeah. Right. And because part of it is we have an idea in our minds, like this was me the first four years of my marriage. I had a perfect idea in my mind of exactly how I wanted my husband to change. If he would just stop doing this, that, or the other, everything would be happy. I had my outcome in mind, but I finally got to the point where I said, I'm just going to accept him how, as he is. Let go of the expectations I had in my mind. And it was only then, and maybe part of it is that I begin to change and I begin to change my expectations and therefore change can more naturally happen. And I'm not holding on to these falsified or unrealistic outcomes that I'm comparing everything to. Yeah, I think so many people can relate to the, okay, I've got this great situation and I just need to tweak a few things and then it's going to be my ideal situation. And I heard, these are not my words, but I love them. I heard an author or somebody, I'm sorry that I can't give proper credit, say, "If if you really want the relationship to flourish, then you need to change expectation to appreciation. It's mm, good. Um, and it's true. And so again, you can apply this to so many different contexts, very obviously. And I don't, I am not here to say you shouldn't have expectations for your life. But I think if we can just appreciate the spirit of where we're coming from on this and the context in which we're having this conversation, you know, on a day-to-day basis to change expectation to appreciation for who they are mm-hmm. and accepting them as they are, Mm -hmm. then in my opinion, and I'm only repeating what you just said, that's the only way you can grow together and kind of get closer to whatever you consider to be your ideal. And you would ask the question, you know, what can we do to rebuild romance and passion? Well, a lot of this is going to start with these foundational things because we are less likely to want to be intimate with someone where we feel like they don't even like us or they're not listening to us or they don't accept us as we are. And so when we can start with even just going back, like going back to, are you talking to your spouse and asking questions about their life, about their past, about their, their right now, about their desires for the future? That's where we begin to build this intimacy because everything that happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom. And everything that happens inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. Both of these are gonna go hand in hand but a lot of times the easiest one to start with, because most of us are doing, aren't doing it to the best of our abilities, let's put it that way. Am I focusing on being a good friend to my spouse? One of my favorite things is to be in a social environment. Do you remember those? Social yeah. environments? Yeah. That's all um, reminisce. <laughs> and see my husband like across the room or in a conversation with somebody else and admire him from afar as an other. So because yeah. just to see him separate from me and engaged as a full grown human adult without me, it didn't take me to get there. And it, if I weren't here, he would continue on being a full grown autonomous human. And so I just love that experience of seeing him in context, sort of doing his thing. And I think that if we can tap into that vibe somewhat mm-hmm. more regularly, um, it can help us practice mm-hmm. appreciation. <laughs> now, are you saying we should accept absolutely every kind of behavior from our spouse? Ooh, I think there's a difference between accepting a person and accepting a behavior, for sure. So I can accept and love my husband and absolutely not put up with him, you know, him talking to me disrespectfully. Those are two different things. It's okay to say, 
hey, that's not okay. You doing that is, that's not okay. I love you. I want what's best for you, but I'm not going to let you yell at me like that. So you're absolutely right. Just because you accept them doesn't mean you accept the behavior. And one of the things you asked that I know we'll get to probably at some point in a minute, you said, when do you stop trying? Like, when is it over? When is it done? If there is someone you are in a relationship with who is doing a destructive behavior and will not stop, So either they will not stop over a period of time, they refuse to get help, it is taking an emotional or um, like a devastating emotional or physical toll on you or your health or your safety, then you have to get safe. That's number one. I'm so glad you got that on the table. And what I hear you say is they need to take action to stop, not just say they're going to stop. So (laughs) actions, not words. Yeah. And that's where, yes, you're hundred percent right. And this is where it starts to get really fuzzy because I can't, I can't just give guidelines. It's very situational specific of, okay, well, how do you give the boundaries? Do you do an ultimatum or not? I mean, there are times where yes, like you eventually get to that part, but it's going to, it's super specific to each person. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. So we are tracking on stone two on our stony path. Yes. <laughs> Not stony. The beautiful know, like... cobblestone road. <laughs> what, ha- what happens next on our, our road to La La Land? The next. So we've just, we're coming out of acceptance, going into attachment. That is the third stage. And attachment, we, I mean, we could talk about attachment theory, which I love is having two adopted children. Um, it's definitely very important. And, but all attachment theory boils down to is one thing. I need to know that you're going to be here for me. That's it. And we can even use the pies to kind of like guide that. I need to know that you're going to be here for me physically when I physically need someone to hold or hug. I need to know that you'll be there for me when I have questions to ask intellectually. I need to know you're going to be here emotionally when I need someone to just sit with me spiritually to to help me figure out what my beliefs and values should do in this. Like, right. Like we need to know the people in our lives and the people in our lives need to know that we are going to be there for them. You make me think of friends who are in relationships and whether they're married or just in a long-term relationship. And one of them is always threatening breakup or divorce or, you know, basically that's not allowed to be put on the table in a healthy marriage. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, That's my opinion. (laughs) I don't think it's an opinion. I actually think there's research that backs that. I was looking for that research this morning, but I remember reading that as soon as a couple mentions the word divorce, there's an exponential increase in the likelihood that it's going to happen. Yeah. It just can't be in the vocabulary of a long-term relationship because how are you going to ride out the turbulence if someone has opened the exit door? Because guess what? That air is going to suck you out. Can we just appreciate that analogy for just a second? It was real good. Because it literally would. So the cabin would not be pressurized anymore and you would get sucked out the door. And to be honest with you, that is what happens when you drop the D word in the middle of a conversation. The the exit door might only be open a crack, but it is open and it's starting to do its damage. And how are you riding out the turbulence in that case? And even if, so there's going to be people hearing this and they're thinking, oh crap, well, we've done that. <laughs> you know, I've, I've said, maybe we should just divorce or something. You can, I don't you know. You can close the door. You can close the door. It's going to take some work, but really you just- You can, in fact, close the door. It just takes a really strong pull. 
Well, and part of that pull in this analogy is just commit to yourself. You're not going to use it anymore. And then say to your spouse, let's not use that anymore. Like we can disagree and all of that, but we don't have to talk about divorce. My very romantic way of expressing this to my husband is like, this is only over when one of us is dead. So we might as well enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I want, it's beautiful. My husband's a romantic and I'm a bit more practical. <laughs> <laughs> so we've just talked about the third stage, which is acceptance. And the fourth and final stage is aspiration. Now here's the thing. All of these have started with an A. Have you realized that? We've got really it took cool me words. till the third stone to realize they all started with an A, but I <laughs> got there. Alliteration, yes. Uh, here's the thing about aspiration, the fourth stage, is that many couples never get here. But if they can... It is actually the stage that will make their marriage more satisfying than ever before and stronger than ever before. So aspiration is all about having a shared dream or multiple shared dreams, but it's about basically having a vision together for your marriage. Cause here's what happens when we start dating, then we have a shared goal and vision in mind of engagement. Once we get engaged, we're planning a wedding, right? Like we're continuing to look forward to things. Once we get married, we're looking forward to the house and the picket fence and the kids. And then once we get the house and the kids and the fence and all of those things, what's next? Like, what are we looking towards to do together with our lives? And this is where people begin to start drifting away because they'll each have a career or one of them will have a career and they kind of get their own things that they're focused on or one spouse may be more focused on the kids. And then all of a sudden, like what life was bringing them together before, but now life is taking them apart. So when couples can find a shared dream to hold together, and it doesn't even have to be huge, but when they are committed to doing that, it is something that will keep them focused. But here's the other beautiful thing about it. When you have something you're working towards, you're a businesswoman, Ella, right? You, like, you know that when you have a vision, you are set. There are things that will try and distract you. And you're like, no, I'm chasing the vision. Like I've got somewhere to go. I've got places to be. That doesn't matter. Well, a lot of the fights that we have in our marriage are because we're distracted. We don't know where we're going. And so everything's distracting us. So how do we get that? Having a shared dream in our marriages is key. Well, that sounds easy enough, Kimberly. <laughs> so simple. You'll figure it out tonight. It'll be great. <laughs> In all seriousness, we'll get to some more practicalities in just a minute, but can I circle back right now to the other instances where just one of you is fighting for this? Because you're really inspiring me, but I recently had a conversation with somebody. She's where you are, sees what it should be, mm -hmm. and isn't experiencing that at all. Can, mm -hmm. can you survive if only one of you is in it? It's a yes and no answer. So the short answer is yes that it only takes one spouse to start saving a marriage at first. Now, what that means is it only takes one person to begin to do things that will eventually create change. However, people have free will. I could do everything right and my husband could still choose to leave me. That does not make me a failure. That does not make me unlovable. None of those things. It simply means he has free will. He gets to do what he wants. Eventually, if, if my husband and I were going through a crisis and I started doing all the right things, eventually he would need to come back around for our marriage to be saved. However, what I see is that many people give up too soon. Now, again, we're not talking about if there's a situation that they need to get safe, but if, the, if, if you haven't really tried to do the right things to make your marriage work, 
and you're saying, well, this has been happening for six years, which that's actually the, uh, from research, couples wait for six years after a crisis starts before they get help. It's too long. We need that's to shorten that. a long time. We need, to, we need to take the stigma out of it. Um, but you may be saying, but this has been happening for six years. Yes. But have you been doing the things to save the marriage and make it work for six years? No. Let's reset. Let's say, here's, here's the things you can start doing, which the two main things I will tell people to do in that situation is number one, work on yourself, just like we talked about with the pies. And number two, change the way you communicate. So right now, typically, typically the first thing that goes wrong in a marriage or begins to break down is the communication cycle. Either you stop communicating or every time you communicate, it's a fight or the, the communication feels one-sided. And so uh, begin to just change the way that you communicate with each other. Even if you just stop doing defensiveness in your conversation, stop blaming your partner, stop criticizing them, and stop stonewalling, your chances of divorce will decrease just by doing those things when it comes to the way we communicate and how we engage in conflict. So yes, one person can start doing the things but yes, eventually it needs to be too. There is hope, but yes, even if you do it all, your spouse could still choose to leave and that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Right, your response begins with you. So what I mean by that is no matter what happens, time and effort invested in yourself will never go to waste. So why not start with you with some Absolutely. iota of hope? Um, again, if your safety's in, in question, that's a no brainer, but in a not dangerous, but unhealthy or arguably toxic situation, it's never ever going to be the wrong answer to invest in yourself, to start with yourself, to ask questions of yourself, to be accountable to yourself. Mm-hmm and then go from there. And one thing that I would just like to contribute, although I'm not the expert, is truly, I think we have so many of the answers within. And I think if we can spend a quiet moment, Kimberly, asking our intuition, our soul, our deep inner voice, whatever you call it, that isn't your brain, you know, Mm -hmm. your frontal lobe or whatever, the the thing that the thing that answers first and loudest, (laughs) whatever's after that, that you feel in your gut or in your heart, I think we have so many of the answers in ourself. And so just anyone who finds themselves in a situation that feels terribly, terribly hopeless to them, I would just offer up that they are not alone. Absolutely not. And there are literally millions of people who have been in those shoes and Mm -hmm. survived it together and people who have been in those shoes and chosen to go in two different directions. Mm -hmm. And you will be okay no matter what. That's right. Okay. So let's talk about just some practical tips that you might have for folks who are like, this is all great, but my hair has been in the same hair knot for 17 days. And am I supposed to change my pants? (laughs) Oh, wait, I can't say that because in England, Tilly told me that every time I say pants, it means underwear in England. (laughs) So then definitely change your pants. Okay, carry on. You know where I'm going with this. I do. Right. What? Right. So how does this apply to my daily life? What can I do today to make a change? Do something fun. First of all, let's do something fun with our spouse. It doesn't have to be stress and chaos and finances. And what are we going to do with the kids? And oh my gosh, I swear if they have another day of Zoom school, I'm going to lose my mind. Do something fun. And I get that things are limited, but maybe If you have kids, put them to bed early, watch a funny show, just do something to go back to what gets you to laugh with each other. And bonus points, if you do things to ask questions with each other that put you back into 
what was like, what's been your favorite thing that we have done over the past year? Or what, what is the thing that led me to fall in love with you or you to fall in love with me? What, you know, what was our first date like? Like go back to those good times in your relationship and just reminisce on it because that is really powerful in helping you realize that you have shared memories together, that you have a lot invested in this relationship by remembering the good things. And it paves that way and it creates that foundation to do even more of that in the future. That's one, one thing that people can do today. I love the questions. The questions are so much fun because when you ask one another questions, that's kind of, I mean, think about it. That's what like the first six dates are. You're, mm -hmm. you're learning everything about each other. You think you're learning everything about each other. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you're, you're not. not. <laughs> But that's like, that's almost, I mean, that's what dates are. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been 1,412 years since I went on a date. But the asking questions of one another is what you do when you meet a new friend. It's what you do when you begin yeah. a date. It's what you do when you meet someone who's new to your business. Yeah. And for some reason, we stopped doing that with one another. Mine was inspired by my husband. He's such a great hype man. So H-Y-P-E. So he just throws out random compliments all the time. And it's because one of his love languages is words of affirmation. Well, mine aren't. So he mm. might get like a high five from me once every six months, you know? And so, so eventually I got there. Okay. It's been a minute. I got there and I was like, Oh, Oh, that's how he experiences love. So now just randomly throughout the day, because we're together a lot. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. If he dressed because he's going somewhere, if he's going to Trader Joe's, I'm like, I love those shoes. Those look amazing. Mm -hmm. If he gets a haircut, I'm like, your haircut looks awesome. By the way, I'm never, I'm never lying. It's always yeah. authentic, but right. I am, I am intentional. So there's yeah. a difference. So I intentionally seek out things to compliment him on. You're so funny. Or I love how smart you are. Or I love, okay, here's one. If I disagree with him, I'm like, one of the things I love about you is I love the way you see things so differently than I do because it shows mm -hmm. me a totally different side. Mm -hmm. And that's true, by the way. But yeah. wow, does that come naturally to me? No, but that's something that he's taught me that I wanted to share. You know, most good marriages and great marriages even don't necessarily come naturally. The things that we do as humans naturally don't necessarily lend to really positive relationships. So doing the things... I was working with a couple, this was several years ago now, and he would put it in his calendar on his phone to order her flowers and send them to her because it didn't come naturally to him and it was something she wanted. She hated that he did that. She would say, if he loved me, then it would just come naturally. He wouldn't have to work at it. Well, I would say the greatest acts of love that we do are the ones that don't come naturally, but we are so intentional about doing it that we do it anyway. That shows that I mean, that's love, right? Like that's us doing that better. I would go even further with the compliments too, which is my husband and I have honestly gotten out of this habit. We need to restart it. We used to be really good at once a week on our date nights. This is why we got out of the habit because date nights stopped happening once a week. Right. Not to blame things other than myself, but <laughs> every week on date night, each of us would share five things we appreciated that the other person did during the past week. The psychology behind that is that it takes five positive interactions to overcome one negative. And we weren't necessarily trying to overcome a negative interaction. We probably had way more than that through the week, but at least was, at least it was a time where we were intentional about noticing it. And then hearing the other person say that to you is, is really nice. 
Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you if they need more of you? You can find what we do at Marriage Helper at marriagehelper.com. We also have a very large YouTube channel with tons of free videos that you can go find there. I also have a podcast called It Starts With Attraction. So when we talked about those pies, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, I talk about each one of those every week in a different type of thing that you can take away and do to work on yourself and become a better you every week. I'll put every bit of that in the show notes for everybody for this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I loved it. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or open the show notes for this episode and get all the links at onairella.com. There's no whip. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are, quite simply, awesome.